from the University of Texas at Austin, KUT Radio, this is In Black America. My entire career has been spent as either the sole female or the only African-American um, or the only African-American female mm-hmm. in my group. So by then you get you get a little bit accustomed to it, but I don't think you ever get away from putting added pressure on yourself of knowing that you are a role model, um, that you are setting the pace and you have to do your very best so that it makes it easier for those coming behind you to come through that door. Dr. Christine Nix, Assistant Professor and Program Coordinator of Criminal Justice at the University of Mary Hardin Baylor and the first African-American woman, Texas Ranger. Nix spent two and a half decades in law enforcement, first as a Central Texas police officer and later with the Texas Department of Public Safety, which included more than 10 years as a Texas Ranger. Formed in 1823 to protect Anglo settlers in East Texas, the Rangers started out as a band of hired guns. After Texas won its independence from Mexico in 1836 and merged with the United States in 1846, the Rangers moved from militia to a paramilitary role. Prior to 1993, the Texas Rangers were a bastion of white non-Hispanic men and they were notoriously resistant to diversifying their forces. All that changed when Governor Ann Richards took office. I'm Johnny O'Hanson Jr. and welcome to another edition of In Black America. On this week's program, Dr. Christine Nix, the first African-American woman Texas Ranger in Black America. We don't have a lot of African-Americans that tell their their children you should consider law enforcement. Until we do, we can't expect things to change. And we have to encourage them to stay on the right path so that they have those opportunities because it's a wonderful way to get benefits. It's a good way to get a career. It's a good way to build up those skills so that if you decide that's not where you want to be, it will help you get other jobs. And we're not doing enough of recruiting within our own families and communities into law enforcement or into the other first responders such as uh, first aid or EMTs. In 1999, the Texas Rangers were far behind other state law enforcement agencies in their recruitment of women. Nationwide, women made up 13.8% of all law enforcement officers and 4% in state police agencies versus 2% in the Rangers. The Texas Rangers are the oldest law enforcement organization on the North American continent with statewide jurisdiction. In 1994, when Dr. Christine Nix became a Texas Ranger, the agency had just started hiring women a year earlier. Ten women were in her academy class, but only seven graduated. During her law enforcement career, Nix investigated murders, rapes, white-collar crime, and political corruption. In 2004, Nix decided to make a career change. She began her first year as a doctoral student at Sam Houston State University. Ten years later, she graduated with a doctorate in criminal justice. Today, Nix is the only full-time faculty member in criminal justice at the University of Mary Hardin Baylor in Belton, Texas. Recently, In Black America spoke with this Texas pioneer. My father was in the Air Force, and um, both my parents are from South Carolina, and um, that's where we started out. That's where he started out his military career in the Air Force. And so there are five siblings. 
we grew up at one point we were living in the projects Mm -hmm. and eventually moved on to base housing and that was a big difference in lifestyle and so growing up in south carolina it was it was different we were we were very country in our upbringing is what best i can put it very country so we're we were real close growing up and um I just remember having a lot of freedom of running around different places in in the South. Do you remember some of the, the, the more fun places you all lived in growing up? Um, we were stationed at uh, Myrtle Beach Air Force Base. So it's right on the beach. And one of the things I remember growing up is that when we would go to the beach, we always wanted to go to the other beach mm-hmm. because they were segregated at the time. And then when I was an adult... And went back, you could almost see the demarcation line between the two beaches. And since then, um, it, it wasn't segregated anymore. But you could tell kind of where that line was at. Um, it just looks a little bit different. When you moved to Abilene to attend high school, were you all back in the States prior to that? No, we were in Spain. My dad had uh, gotten orders to go to Spain, so... Uh, One of the odd things about growing up in South Carolina and going to school there is that we were all, every student was taking Spanish classes because that was the Air Force mission for that particular base. So most people were rotating into Spain. So if you can imagine a bunch of children with Southern accents speaking Spanish. Um, I can only imagine what it sounded like when we got to Spain. So we did a three-year tour in Spain, and then we went to Abilene, where my dad was stationed at Dias and eventually retired from there. I understand. Tell us about being exposed to the Army Reserve training at Abilene High School. Well, um, I didn't get into it at Abilene High School. I um, My dad was really old-fashioned, okay. um, being from the South, and so he would not let me go into the military. He wanted me to get a degree in um, as a CPA. Um, I can't keep my own checkbook. I can't imagine doing anyone else's. Um, and even back then, I knew math was my weak point. Or he wanted me to teach, be a teacher, and I had a little bit more spirit than that for him. So I went to college when I was 17. I couldn't sign my Army ROTC contract until I turned 18. Um, and for two years, I didn't tell him that I had signed an Army contract to go into the military. So um, I got my exposure vicariously through him in the military as as his dependent. But then I went into um, the Army um, reserves with the intention of going active duty, but it didn't work out that way. So that was the ROTC? That was ROTC, yes. Um, that's kind of where I found myself is in ROTC. Um, I was extremely shy growing up, and that gave me an outlet to overcome being. And when I say painfully shy, I was painfully shy. <laughs> Speaking of checkbook, one of your first jobs Somebody's accountant or bookkeeper in Temple? I was. I worked for a (laughs) car dealership that's no longer here, but it's not my fault. Um, They survived long after I left. But I was um, the bookkeeper, and uh, my job was to do payroll. And they had this huge machine that if you made a mistake, it would say error. And one Friday, I was doing the payroll, and the machine just went berserk. They had to 
bring in the lady who had retired and and she was she was much much older caucasian woman mm-hmm. and when we were talking she told me and I'm from the south remember so I've been taught to respect my elders she told me that she was knitting africans and I thought hmm and I'm still young mm-hmm. and I'm doing my very best not to bust out laughing when I realized she was talking about she was knitting afghans not africans uh, so but I did mess up their books pretty bad. When did you begin working for the Temple Police Department? After I messed up those books really bad. <laughs> what, what, uh, what led you to them? I messed up the books really bad. They were having, uh, they had a, they were recruiting at the time. And so I, I had always kind of had an idea that I might like to do policing. And it was the only job where I didn't have to do secretarial duties or bookkeeping. And so I applied for them. And with my education, I had a four-year degree and being in the Army Reserves, um, that kind of helped me get into the police department. I really enjoyed it. And what were you a patrol officer? I was a patrol officer. I looked like I, I was uh, 22, 23. I might have been 24 by then. And I looked like I was about 12 to 15, wore my hair in Heidi braids across my head. And people would call the chief. Um, they wouldn't let me come in. They had a complaint. Call the chief and tell them there's some little girl dressed up in a police uniform saying she's a police officer. Could you send a real police officer <laughs> to my house? So. I understand. <laughs> if you're just joining us, I'm Johnny O'Hanson, Jr., and you're listening to In Black America from KUT Radio. We're speaking with Dr. Christine A. Nick, Associate Professor and Coordinator Criminal Justice Program at the University of Mary Hardin Baylor and the first African-American woman, Texas Ranger. Speaking of Texas Ranger, what led you to think about becoming a Texas Ranger? Well, um, after I worked for the Temple Police Department, uh, I took a eight-month active duty tour with my reserve unit, and they sent me to the Defense Language Institute in Monterey, California. Mm-hmm. And I became um, one of the German linguists for our unit because that was our our field of expertise at the time where we were assigned to go. And so I did that, and when I came back, I was looking for a job, and DPS was hiring. Um, so I applied with them and ended up, being um, hired, went to driver's license in Houston, then back in the temple, then to Waco, uh, became the recruiter for five years. And then at that point, they had already had two women that had hired into the Rangers. And DPS was being very progressive in their promotion of minorities and females. So um, I, I applied for Ranger, and that's what led me to that. Did you suffer any body parts being broken during training? (laughs) Um, I had a a black eye. Um, My nose was broken. I uh, had a broken rib. You know, the normal stuff you go through when you're in a physical academy. Was it much different from what you went through when you were in the Army Reserve? Oh, yes. Way, way different. Um, I never got punched in the face when I was in the (laughs) Army Reserve. (laughs) But then again, in the reserves, I don't expect to get into a fight every day with anyone. So it was different. Was there any other attic pressures that that you put on yourself going through that process? 
Yes and no. I my entire career has been spent as either the sole female or the only African American um or the only African American female mm-hmm. in my group. So by then you get you get a little bit accustomed to it, but I don't think you ever get away from putting added pressure on yourself of knowing um that you are a role model, um, that you are setting the pace and you have to do your very best so that it makes it easier for those coming behind you to come through that door. I never would imagine that DPS or the Texas Rangers would have a, a language institute that foreign language would, would be an integral part of what one does. Oh, they didn't. This I went to the language institute with the military. I did a lot of special training with uh, when I when I went into the Rangers, mm-hmm. um, you go to a lot of schools, and a couple of specialty schools I went to was uh, forensic hypnosis and forensic composite art, interview and interrogation, hostage negotiations, you know, things more suited towards achieving the goal of criminal justice, keeping the peace, public safety, and that type of thing. Tell us about that forensic portion of, of what you did. I became a forensic hypnotist, um, and I have to say that was one of the tougher schools that I've attended mm-hmm. as a police officer because it was very intense. It's a 40-hour-a-week class, but it seemed more like 80 hours because you're you're learning in class, and then you're practicing and putting in to use what you're doing because with forensic hypnosis, the purpose of it is to help people remember an incident that they're either a witness or a victim to. And so there are a lot of, it's very structured, it's very strict in how those sessions are um, conducted. Of the cases you investigated, is it one that really has stuck with you over the years? Um, I think the one that stuck with me over the years would be a young African-American a man that uh, was accused of killing an older person in in his town. And um, we went for uh, the capital death uh, penalty. Um, he ended up not um, getting that, but he went to prison on something else. So he, he beat that charge, the capital murder charge, but he didn't beat the other charges um, that had been um, laid against him. So about six months into his sentence, his mother called me, and she tells me who she is, and I'm thinking I'm about to be chewed out or cussed out or something, and she tells me that her son is having trouble in prison, Mm -hmm. that people are picking on him, they're beating him up, you know, assaulting him. And I said, ma'am, you do know that I'm the person that led the investigation trying to get him the needle, the death penalty. She said, yes, ma'am, but you were fair in the way you treated him. And so that has stuck with me, and I try to relay that to my students. It doesn't matter what they've done. Your job is to bring the facts to the table and not make judgments. If someone is interested in pursuing a career such as you had, what are some of the things you would tell that individual? This is what I tell all my students. I don't care what happens. I don't care where you're at. Don't lie and don't assign blame. If you messed up, say you messed up. Um, And it'll take them a long ways. It'll take them um, through the interviewing process to get in. 
Um, it will take them through their career when they're in hard spots. And sometimes it's really hard to say, yeah, I messed up and not blame someone else. How important it is for young people to understand what you do in your young life, follow you through your older years, and may have an effect on a position or profession that you want to pursue in, in the future? You know, that's that's something that I wish that I could go into <laughs> elementary schools and just every day pound that into their head that there is no such thing as ollie ollie income free. Mm-hmm that consequences will follow you, and there is no excuse that I'm poor, I got into a bad crowd. In theory, theory classes, it's what we call rational choice, free will. You make conscious decisions based on what you decide you're going to do, based on reward and punishment. If you're willing to take the punishment now, then you have to be willing to suffer the punishment in the future when your past catches up with you. While you were going through training and and in the the Texas Ranger, were you treated fairly as far as your colleagues understanding that you're on an equal footing with them? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, matter of fact, I think one of the nicest compliments um, that some of my Ranger buddies ever gave me was, um, "There are a lot of people they wouldn't mind going up against if they were on the bad side." but mm-hmm. they wouldn't want Christine Nix coming after them. <laughs> and so I thought, yes, they accept me as um, one of them. Yeah. So how has your your, your children been able to, to navigate uh, their lives knowing that their mom was a Texas Ranger? When I came home, I was mom. I, I, I didn't realize how much I'd structured that, categorized it. So when I came home, I took everything off, put it up, mm-hmm. and I was mom. One Saturday, we got up to go somewhere, and I put on my work boots, and they both got upset and thought that I had been called out. Uh I went and changed shoes. They grew up knowing that you don't answer the door. Mm -hmm. Um, If I gave them the signal in a store, that meant I want them to walk away from me because I saw someone that I either arrested or was investigating, and I didn't want them to know that I had children. A lot of people didn't know I had children. They thought I had cats. I just I just didn't tell people. Um, so they grew up, when people would ask them, what does your mom do? They would say, she's our mom. Or if they insisted, they would tell them she works at Walmart. Really? Yeah, because you just never know. Okay, um, right. and And I'm very protective of them. And now they're very protective of me. I understand. As adults, yeah. In 2004, you decided to make a career change. Why? In 2004, um, God spoke to me, and I have learned in my walk as a Christian, when God speaks, y'all listen. Mm -hmm. And if he don't, if you want to know if he has a sense of humor, tell him what you're going to do and see what happens. So he spoke to me and told me it was time. Um, I had just finished up my master's degree. I'd been asked to consider um, working on a Ph.D., and I really didn't want to because I'm Frankly, I'm lazy when it comes to writing mm-hmm. and studying. And so that was the door that was open. So I retired and um, pursued my Ph.D. And what do you like most about teaching? I like my students. Um, I, I really do. People ask me all the time, and it, I really am here because of them. Um, I just had my my first group come in. They're graduating in 2021. I really didn't think I would be here 
this long, um, but it, it really is a good fit for me. When you look at your students, is it a great difference from when you were in college? Yes. Um, the diversity. Um, when I told people I wanted to be a police officer, people in the 70s told me, you're black and you're a woman. Now I have um, African-American, Hispanic-American. Um, I, I have a great diversity in this program of students and it's just amazing to watch it change and evolve over the years. And what does a student learn in your program? Hopefully, the we have a motto here that we serve without expectation of recognition. Mm-hmm. Um, they have to have a servant heart if you're going to be in public service. You can't do it for the recognition because usually the recognition is not what you're expecting. So you have to be able to work with um, all groups. You have to work and understand that people um, see things from different perspectives. A sociological imagination that's based on your experience and your perception. So what we say may not be what they understand. So you cannot, if someone yells at you, you have to understand that if they're stressed or they're coming from a place that they're not comfortable, they're going to react. And you have to be able to be thick-skinned and understand that, that you have to put yourself aside and your own feelings and be able to deal with people appropriately. Being a part of law enforcement for a number of years and now in the classroom, does it bother you with some of the situations that are going on between law enforcement and people of color? It does, from both sides. Mm -hmm. I have uh, two brothers and um, a son, and it worries me that depending on where they are, they could be one of those victims. But on the other side, as a police officer, I understand that sometimes you get in a situation that it it comes down to uh, you have to take the action that you deem appropriate at that time. And we talk about this in class. I understand. As the first African-American female Texas Ranger, what does that mean to you if it means anything at all? Well, it's a great honor, um, and there's two things that happened. Um, when I was in driver's license in Temple, one day I was standing up, and there was a man that I had known when I was a Temple police officer, mm-hmm. and he walked in, and he saw me. He didn't recognize me, but he teared up, and I thought something had happened in the parking lot, so I'm I'm getting ready to try to console him with something, and he said, I never thought I'd live to see the day that we would have African-American female in a DPS uniform. And I thought that, that's, that's a lot of responsibility as an African-American because I, the not the pedestal, mm-hmm. but the position of uh, respect that he put me in. When I made Ranger, I went and picked up my children. When they called me and gave me the, you know, the heads up, you made Ranger. Went and picked up my children and put them in the back, and I tell them, hey, remember, Mommy's been doing all this studying. Well, I'm going to be a ranger. And my son was about three, and he said, what color ranger? And I thought, <laughs> I wonder what you're talking about. And I thought, I don't know. And my daughter, who's six, said, boy, she's not going to be that kind of ranger. She's just going to be a Texas ranger, and she won't have any special powers, power rangers. And any thoughts I had of being egotistical about being a ranger mm-hmm. went right out of my head because my son was very upset for about six months. 
that I didn't have special powers. <laughs> so it kept me grounded for um, all these years. I forgot to ask you, were there any other women in your class? Uh, when I went academy? through the academy? Yes, ma'am. Um, we started out, I believe, with 10 and graduated seven. And how long was the, the academy? How long did it take you to actually go 24 through Twenty-four very long weeks. Do you want to know how many minutes? I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> it was tough. <laughs> did you ever think that I can't do this or I can't do this was not an option? Um. Uh, that was the hard part. I had a lot of options, so I didn't have to be there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I knew I could have gone to any police department. I could have went back into the military. So that was hard knowing that I had options and I didn't have to be there. So I, there were days that I would think, I don't have to put up with this. I don't have to get up at 4.30 in the morning and run figure eight until um, I can't breathe. Um, and then trying to do P, uh, PT with a broken rib and a broken nose was difficult. So um, I I had to decide that I was going to stick it out. I asked you about your, your, your kids. What about your siblings? What were their reaction when you was telling them about your career choices? They didn't seem phased. Um, after I got into ROTC, they, okay. they pretty much figured that, you know, that was kind of normal for me. I also understand that you're a cancer survivor. I'm a three-time cancer survivor, yes. How has faith gotten you through all this? Um, I don't know how people do it without faith. I, I just don't. Someone told me that God brought you to this, and I said, no, nah, this is not a God thing. This is Satan trying me, and it's God bringing me through it. And that's the way I see it. I've just been favored that um, three times, and um, God and I both are just thumbing our noses at Satan. Um, I just told him to get behind me. I know that's right. What was the most memorable moment during your retirement ceremony? My son told me he couldn't be there, that he had to work. Mm-hmm. And I thought of all the people, I wanted my children, my two children there because basically they're the ones that if I got called out, they'd find my boots, my badge, you know, help me. 2.30 in the morning, I'm stumbling around. So we're, we've always been a team. And he said he couldn't be there. And just as the ceremony started, he walked in to surprise me that he could be there. Final question, Christine. What has been your most enjoyable moment in this profession thus far? As uh, law enforcement? Law, yes, ma'am. I, I, I think the thing that I enjoy most is the variety of people that I've met and the opportunities that I've had to serve. I enjoy serving the public. I enjoy serving my students. That's, I think that's the, the thing that I enjoy most is being able to serve. Any final comments, Christine? No, I've enjoyed speaking to you, and I would encourage your listeners. Um, I gave a speech with the Brazos NAACP, their um, annual banquet this summer, and what I tried to encourage people is we don't have a lot of African-Americans that tell their their children you should consider law enforcement. Dr. Christine Nix, Assistant Professor and Program Coordinator of Criminal Justice at the University of Mary Hart Baylor and the first African-American woman, Texas Ranger. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions as to future In Black America programs, email us at inblackamerica at kut.org. Also, let us know what radio station you heard is over. Remember to like us on Facebook, and to follow us on Twitter. 
The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station or of the University of Texas at Austin. You can hear previous programs online at KUT.org. Until we have the opportunity again for technical producer David Alvarez, I'm John Leo Hansen, Jr. Thank you for joining us today. Please join us again next week. CD copies of this program are available and may be purchased by writing In Black America CDs, KUT Radio, 300 West Dean Keaton Boulevard, Austin, Texas, 78712. That's In Black America CDs, KUT Radio, 300 West Dean Keaton Boulevard, Austin, Texas, 78712. This has been a production of KUT Radio.